Welcome to the Cross Loganville's podcast channel. Thanks for joining us as we continue our series on Just Like Jesus. The great theologian and philosopher once said that time keeps on slipping into the future. <laughs> right? I think he was a theologian, or at least a great scholar. I want to fly like an eagle. But here's what I would encourage you to think through. It's the end of another year. Or is it just the end of another year? You got engaged in January. Good for you. You were diagnosed with cancer in February. You bought your first house in March. Your baby was born in April. You graduated in May. Your dad died in June. Your sister got married in July. You got your license in August. You broke your arm in September. A relapse disrupted your October. You lost your job in November. Oh, you baptized your son in December. I promise you in this room is the representation of every one of these stories. And there's moments, and there's emotions, and there's memories, and there's laughter, and there's sadness. And every one of us, as we kind of look back in the rear view at 2019, there's been peaks, and there's been valleys. We, we've celebrated and we've cried. We've loved and we've had our heart broken. We won a few and we lost a few. We pledged that we were going to do better and then we got knocked down again. We started off sober and then we find ourselves ending up drunk. We made resolves on January 1st that just didn't work out. We're going to give more, and we're going to love more, and we're going to serve more, and we're going to pray more, and we're going to read more, and we're going to study more, and we're going to memorize more, and then life happens. It happened to you, and it happened to me. And a lot of us sit there and we ponder this. When will I truly change? Maybe Corey Smith was right. Maybe next year I'll start acting my age. Maybe, maybe next year I'll stop living in my foolish ways. Only 365 days until I change my ways. Just I sit there and I think about people oftentimes and they're like, okay, I'm going to do it next year. And we continue to postpone and delay, like moving deeper into our walk with the Lord. And many of us, and it's more wishful thinking, it's not resolve, it's more just verbal, and it's not really from the heart. We start to think, yeah, ne next year is going to be my best year. Ne next year, I I'm going to do some things differently. But I think about that, when will I totally surrender and go all in with the Lord? 
When will I quit playing games? When will I get to a place where I'm tired of negotiating and just kind of going through the motions again? When will I go all in? When, when will I refuse the excuse route or the blame route or the deflect to everybody else route of why my life sucks and is falling apart? When will I start to look in the mirror and really do self-evaluation of me and stop looking at the window and pointing fingers at everybody else? When will I change? And I think that's where we struggle. When will I declare in the emphatic statement of my life be, Jesus, you are my Lord. You're my authority, my ruler. You're, you're the one calling the shots when. And 365 days from now, 366, as we kind of get together and we kind of huddle up, what's going to be the highlight of 2020? What's going to be the highlight of your 2020? What do you think? What is your vision? What's your aim? What's your goal? What are you shooting at? Will I finally sit down and allow someone to disciple me? Will I finally sit down and get a spiritual growth plan? Will I, will I finally sit down and make a resolve that it's not going to be short-term intensity? It's going to be long-term consistency. I'm all in. Because I think for so many of us as we we ponder those re-solutions, and that's what they really are. People say, hey, what's your resolution? It's really just a re-saluting something that we didn't do that we think hopefully maybe we will do this year. It's like, what's going to be really the resolve of my heart? When am I going to get that strategic game plan as I look at the PMSES of my life, as I look at the physical and go, all right, when are you really going to correct your eating habits? When are you really going to get serious about taking care of this temple that the Holy Spirit dwells in? When are you going to really start to address some of the things in your emotional life right now that you fluctuate all over the place and you're, you're emotional, you just, you're, you're mad at times and you're all over. When, when, when are you going to get your emotional pulse stabilized? When, when are you really going to make a resolve spiritually that it's Christ alone, that word, that prayer, that nothing is going to interrupt it? I'm going to set aside these, these crucial times where I can get up and walk with the Lord and hang with the Lord and worship the Lord. Yeah. When am I going to really start to address the financial and get a game plan because I find myself just kind of rolling over year after year, and it's dead, and it's difficulty, but I've done nothing to get a game plan. And when am I going to start to look at my, not only my playgrounds and playmates and play toys, but really focus in on some of my playmates and go, your social life, man, you, you continue to get the same results because you hang out with the same people that are going nowhere. And as my dad said, son, you hang out with dogs, you're going to get fleas on you. you got to start paying attention to who you're hanging out with. It's time to turn the page. If I'm going to quote Steve Miller, I've got to quote Bob Seger. But it's time to turn the page. For some of us, we've got to turn the page and say, you know what, I've been playing it safe. I take no risk. I've got to turn the page. I've stayed stuck over here. I'm not willing to risk anything. I'm not willing to try anymore. And I've got all these excuses I use on why I don't connect or contribute. It's time to turn the page. It's time to turn the page on relying on yourself and you really starting to rely on the Savior. It's time to turn the page that I get transparent. My cards are on the table. And I, 
I'm okay to be known for the real me. It's okay to turn the page. Turning the page on taking responsibility is so huge. I get paid to do one thing every day. It's to be responsible. That's all it is. Be responsible in your marriage. Be responsible in parenting. Be responsible with your body. Be responsible with your finances. Just be responsible before the Lord. And, and when people exercise great responsibility with accountability, they're no longer a liability to those around them. Man, I just want to grow. I'm not going to blame the world for my problems. I'm turning the page. I'm going to change my thought life because I can do that. I can take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, and I really can think about pure, right, holy, lovely, excellent, praiseworthy things. I don't have to be conformed to the world. I want to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. I'm going to own my thought life. I'm, I'm, I'm going to take ownership there. And I, I just think that we have to refuse to stay idle. We have to refuse to stay stuck. We have to refuse to say, I'm okay living a life of mediocrity. I'm not. As we close the year, there has to be some resolve. And you have to look and go, ah, oh, I was created with purpose. God loves me. He accepts me. I have worth and value. I'm not going to stay stuck. I want my life to count for the glory of God. And for the betterment of others, I want my life to count. Paul in Philippians 3, verse 10. Uh, I would memorize this verse if you don't know it. But Paul just emphatically declares that I might know him. That I might know him and the power of his resurrection. That I might know the fellowship of his sufferings. That I might be conformed even into the likeness of his death. I just want to know the God that created me and the Redeemer that would purchase me with his blood on the cross. I want to know him. And it's such a, a heart knowledge and not a head knowledge. I mean, the words there are gnosko. It's a powerful word. Oida meant cognitive, but gnosko was everything inside my soul, my gut, everything. I want to know you, Lord. And when we move there, Ian, it's like, I just want to know the Lord. I want to experience everything that the Lord has to offer. I, I want to spend that time in communion with him. I want to walk with him throughout the day. I just want, I want his, his thoughts to be my thoughts, and I want his ways to be my ways. I, I, I want his will to be the will that I walk in, Dan. I just want to know him. And that's what Paul says. I just want to know the Lord. And then he goes on to say, I just want to live in his power. I, I want to experience the power that he has, the I want to be so filled and so fueled with the Holy Spirit every day that when you squeeze me, the Spirit of God leaks out. I'm like, when you, when you sit there, it's like, hey, you're going to get squeezed and you're going to get tilted and, and the pressures of life are going to come at you and you're going to face adversity and uncertainty and even you get a little praise at times, but when all that happens, what comes out? What's your go-to? He goes, I want to know him, and I want to experience his power. And he goes, I want to experience deep, intimate fellowship. Koinonia is the Greek word. I want to experience this oneness with the Father. I want to embrace suffering as if it's going to help me grow. I want to embrace adversity as if it's a gift from God, and it's uh, the fertilizer that he uses, Steve, to bring about deeper maturation in my growth. I don't want to sedate and medicate any longer. I don't want to try 
to try to eliminate pain and suffering. I want to embrace it and say, all right, teach me who you are in the, in the midst of this. I, I just want the fellowship. And, and, and for so many of us, when things start going well and we kind of are getting things our way, we distance ourselves from the true fellowship with the Father because we start to rely on us again and we start to trust us again and we start to depend on us again. And he's like, stop. Paul goes, I, I just want to know him. I want to know his power. I want to know the fellowship. And I want to be molded. I, I, I want to reflect Jesus. Even Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And, and I pray that that would be the resolve as we go into 2020. When, when I see you, I see the Father. I see love and grace and joy and peace and mercy and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. I see the Father in you. The Father is reflecting himself in you. Yes. But we must decide whether he or me is going to be the focus of my existence. You're going to have to decide. Is it going to be he or is it just going to be me? Because when we're committed to become devoted disciples of Jesus Christ, life is an adventure and it's more and more and more of getting to know the Savior every day. None of us have arrived. Nobody's had their tassel turned. Oh, we're all in process. I mean, if we get gut level honest, I'm so thankful for the kindness and grace of God that he's still working on me and conforming me and introducing me to deeper fellowship with him. You see, when we truly live to know him and to walk with him and to worship him, and the pursuit of our lives is all about finding the Lord and finding freedom and peace and joy, it's the key to understanding ourselves and even helping us have relational intimacy and equity with other people. If you're living a me-centered life, you're going to be jacked up, and you're going to have all this collateral damage around you where you treat relationships as if they're disposable because it's about you. But if it's about him, he doesn't want to see any perish. He comes to Seeking to save that which is lost. He comes to bring all people to himself. We want to see all people fully alive in Christ, not just the ones we like. Think about it. You struggle with self-worth? I got good news. Jesus died for you. You battle shame and guilt? He forgives you. And he chooses not to remember it any longer. He chooses not to remember it. He chooses not to shove it back in your face. You've got the shame. You've got the guilt. You're not going to believe what I did. Do you understand what he did on the cross? The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. You searching for significance? He calls you his child. You'll never find greater significance in your life. There's not a job, there's not an address, there's not a financial portfolio that compares to walking in the 
freedom every day of saying, I'm a child of God. He's going to prepare a place for me. In my father's house, there's many mansions, and he's going to prepare one for me. And this little dash I get now pales in comparison to eternity. As I live with eternity as the backdrop, I'm like, ah, oh, I'm his child. And we have to get to where even the disciple John got when he said, uh, uh, I am the disciple that Jesus loves. I mean, when, when you start to think through that, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, I was talking to a brother here recently, and there was some shame and guilt kind of affiliated with his last year. And he's like, I know certain people look at me in a unique way, and certain people are probably wondering, what did you do, and what happened to you? I said, no, 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 that's a jacked up perspective. Because when you walk into a place and you're thinking, I wonder what they think about me. I wonder what kind of condemning thoughts they have toward me. You've got to look at them as they look at you and you have to conclude they're staring right now at the disciple that Jesus loves. And I think we empower our past and we empower things that we've done in like years ago, and, and we go, oh, they're going to judge me. No, they're right now, you're right now, you're looking at the disciple that Jesus loves. You're looking at the disciple that he calls friend. You're looking at the one that he died for. Ah, it has to free you. Years ago, I gave up wandering and caring around what everybody else thought about me. When I memorized Galatians 1.10 and it became so pivotal for me, when Paul says, am I seeking the approval of man or am I seeking the approval of God? If I was seeking man's approval, I couldn't be God's servant. When, when I finally got to that place, Sean, I'm like, I'm a servant of the king. All I, I want to do is please you and honor you and worship you. I got tired of me. I got tired of trying to protect me and promote me and insulate me, but I've never gotten tired of Jesus. Oh, I love you, Tim. I love you. And you cannot be consumed with self and pursue Jesus at the same time. You can't do it. If you're in self-protection or self-exaltation and you're all about self, you can't pursue him because it's about you. Paul, I just want to know him. I want to know the, the power of what he's got to offer through the Holy Spirit. I want fellowship with him. I want to be conformed to his likeness. I just want to know him. Ah, oh, that would be a great resolve. He goes on to say in verse 12, not that I've already obtained this. I, I'm not perfect yet. I mean, that's the emphatic statement that he's making. Hey, guys, I want to know him, but here, here, here's where I'm at. I haven't obtained it. I haven't arrived. I'm, I'm not there. God is doing a work in me. God's going to continue to do a work in me. As I yield to him, he's still molding me and shaping me and conforming me. Oh, God's doing a work. 
It's called progressive sanctification. I'm being sanctified a little bit more today and a little bit more tomorrow. I'm on the altar as a living sacrifice saying, hey, I'm yours. You can do whatever you want to do. And I like what Oswald Chambers said. He said he was talking about sanctification, and he said that a dissatisfaction with running the race is the first essential of really becoming what God wants you to be. I have to get to a place where there's still this dissatisfaction in my soul. I haven't arrived. There has to be this sanctified dissatisfaction where I'm like, I'm not there yet. I, I never want to present myself like, I've got all the answers and I know what's going on. No, I'm bankrupt without Jesus. And so are you. I haven't obtained it. Listen to the word he uses here, Jonah, but I press. He uses sprinter terminology here. But I'm pressing to make it my own. I'm pressing because Jesus has made me his own. The lion in following Jesus is one deep. You can't draft off of anybody else. you got to walk with him yourself. He goes, he's made me his own. My identity really is in Christ and in Christ alone. My identity is not in anything else. It's not in any accolades. It's not in any earthly accomplishments. It's not in where I used to be or who I used to hang out with or what kind of money I made. Where's your identity? I'm a child of the king. I belong to God. And he says, unless you come to him like a child, man, you don't have a chance. And Paul uses that. I'm pressing in. I'm pressing to really lay hold of everything that the Lord has. Verse 13 He goes, I do not consider that I've made it my own yet. I'm still growing. I'm still processing. I'm still progressing. I'm still learning every day. I promise you God's developing me more and more every day. John, we're not there, bud. But he uses this phrase again, but I press on. Here he says, but one thing I do, this one thing I do, I'm forgetting what lies behind And the word forget there means I'll no longer be influenced and defined by my past. One thing, and here's the thing, here's the thing. Whether it's a jacked up troubling past or whether it's one where you think you had success. Paul is saying, one thing I do, I'm forgetting what lies behind. And some of us, because we had a good yesterday, we're trying to leverage it today and live in it. He goes, stop it. Today is the day that the Lord has made. Stop. But this one thing I do, I'm forgetting what lies behind. And I'm straining. Again, athletic metaphor. Sprinter. I'm straining. The Greek word there means to have aggression. It means to have energetic action. It means to get after it. It means to strain every spiritual muscle inside of our bodies. What are you doing? I'm straining. I'm staying with it. People have tried to knock me down. The enemies come against me. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I'm straining. But I'm pressing. Don't you quit. Steve, that's why he would say, even in Galatians 6, help carry each other's burdens. Sometimes we get knocked down and we get tired and I've got two or three other brothers going, I'm pressing with you. I'm not, I'm not going to quit. I'm with you. And we're straining. I'm staying with it. Oh, 
I'm not going to work out one day with the Lord and take a week off. It's every day. Lord, i got to press into you. i got to hang with you. i got to worship you. I want to celebrate your goodness. And then he goes on to say, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call. Man, there's, there's a goal. It's been said that obstacles are what you see when you take your eyes off the goal. And once I define the goal of being Jesus, that is the prize. What am I going to get? I'm going to get to spend eternity with the king. Are you working for it? No, I'm working from it. Did you do anything to earn it? No, it was a gift. But I'm walking in it every day because... He's laid hold of me. He bought me. He redeemed me. He's filled me with his Holy Spirit. Oh, I just want to press on. I want to press on. Dustin and I, we're going to team teach today. And Dustin, my executive pastor, sends me a text on Thursday afternoon. And Dustin, his property backed up to Phil Hall's. Phil Hall he coached basketball at North Gwinnett, Decula for years. Dustin and Coach Hall were connected at the hip. They were like main sidekicks. They have been hanging out for years. Dustin got Coach Hall into discipling a lot of his kids there in his basketball programs for the last 20 plus years. They've they just been sidekicks hanging out. And Dustin got the phone call. He was on his way back from the gym on December 26th. And Diane, Coach Hall's wife, called him and said that I found Coach laying out in the yard. Would you please come here? Even before she calls 911, Coach Hall viewed Dustin like his son. Dustin gets there. He had a brush fire, and the fire had started kind of coming back and had burned Coach Hall. And Dustin flips him over, and he can't get a pulse. 911, bam, they get there. They check him. Had a massive heart attack. I go over there to see Dustin, and I'm like, and I, that's, your, that's your sidekick right there. That's your best buddy right there that you've done life with for the last 20 years. When you even bought this property, it was a God thing because your property backed up with each other. Y'all hung out all the time. Dustin, I'm so sorry. Coach Hall loved Jesus. Dustin's going to speak and do his funeral this afternoon. But I started thinking, hey, Coach, you didn't know that when you sat down on Christmas Day with your wife and other friends and family members, you didn't know that would be your last opportunity to speak life and speak love. December 26th at around 1 p.m., God said, Phil, give me back my breath. See, God's going to tell each and every one of us, hey, give me back my breath. And today we have today. Today we've got this space and we've got this moment. And we want to do everything we can to press into the Lord. We're going to spend eternity with him. We're living with eternity as the backdrop. That's where I'm going. I'm going there. Who am I taking with me? Am I doing everything that I can to be fully alive as a disciple of Jesus Christ? Am I giving? Am I serving? Am I doing what you've called me to do, God? Am I loving my neighbor? Am I keeping short accounts? Am I forgiving? Yeah. All right, so here's, here's kind of the piece now. I want to just spend a few moments, and I want to pray here 
And then I'm going to reflect a little bit on my 19, and I'm going to encourage you to do the same. And I'll reflect with you out loud. But I want you to think about your 2020. I've shared with you that John 2020 is kind of the verse. The disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And our prayer going into 2020 is that we would see Jesus and live with glad hearts. John 2020, you can memorize it. Oh, they were so glad because they saw the Lord. And here's the thing. It's like, oh, the more I keep my focus on the Lord and the more I focus on, hey, I'm walking with you, and one day I'll be with you forever. I just keep my eyes fixed on you. You're the author and perfecter and finisher of my faith. Yeah. Father, as we pause to reflect even more, Lord, I pray that you would minister to every one of our hearts. I pray that you would give us recall as we reflect I'm not looking back to empower what's happened in the past as being what ultimately defines me, but I'm looking back, how did you work? What, what, what did you teach me? Lord, where was my heart crushed? What were the peaks and valleys, the highs and lows? Lord, I pray that every person here would just spend some time in reflection. Yeah, just kind of minister to our hearts and minds here. In Christ's name, amen. You know, as I started pondering and looking back over 19, your your life went the same way. As I kind of read through in January, this happened, and then in February, all the way through December, every one of you in this room had some of those experiences. Yeah, there was a death, or man, there was a, a moment of celebration, You lost your job. One of your kids got their license, maybe. All all that kind of stuff happened in this room. But I started thinking back, like, one of the things for me is the unscripted life is the only one worth living, meaning that I'm trusting the spontaneous work of the Holy Spirit right now, Spencer. But as we look back, it's like, oh. Never saw that one coming. Never saw it coming. And I've shared with you, and it, it was such a, a tilt, if you will, a, a twist in the story this year. But when Hannah gets down to like 99 pounds, and she's just skin and bones, and we've tried everything we know to do locally here in Metro Atlanta, what's going to get her healthy? And she keeps getting sick. She's got pneumonia. She's got the flu. She's got, she's got, she's sick. And when her and Barb flew to Minnesota and they diagnosed her at Mayo with cystic fibrosis, what is cystic fibrosis? Don't read up on it. Don't, don't, don't look at all this stuff. They would tell you. Because we didn't know exa- exactly what it was. We didn't know that there was a variety of genetic mutations. We knew that she had had some damage to her lungs that was irreversible. And you read a few stories where lung transplants and kids are dying at a young age. And it's like, don't go there until we know what we're dealing with with her. Right, Barb? And it's like, bam. They do all this genetic testing and they pick liner and she's there for two weeks. Caleb had already had two nasal surgeries. 
And as they did the genetic testing on Hannah and then they did it on Barb, we were waiting for him to do it on Caleb. And it's like, yeah, he's got CF as well. His manifests more here. Hers is manifested more in the gut. Hers is manifested more in her breathing. We thought Barb had asthma and just chronic bronchitis for years until they do the genetic testing on Barb. And they're like, no, you've battled CF all your life. I'm like, man, I got three in my family now. They have cystic fibrosis. What is that? And even when they tell Barb, Hannah's got to be admitted right now to the hospital. She's going to be here for at least two weeks. Barb tells her. And she said, Hannah sits on the end of the bed and says, CF, it's doable. It's doable became a phrase that we did not know was going to become a phrase inside our home. It's posted on walls. But in little Hannah's heart, we started a it's doable kind of team. They had a big CF walkover in Sewanee. They've been having it for years. And so many of y'all came out that day. And the It's Doable team had more people walking with that team than any other person because of y'all coming alongside us to help carry our burdens. What does a new normal look like? Well, she needs Kaleidico. What's Kaleidico? Well, it's this drug that she needs, and it's $24,000 a month that she needs to be on it. Multiply that time three. Praise God for copay and other assistant plans. Well, that's a new normal. She's got that little vest on every morning, every night. Caleb, he's got it on every morning. 2019, that was not something I was anticipating. And you had those things happen in your life. Spencer, you got so sick, my friend. It's been a hard year. And there's so many other people under my voice that went through a tough 2019. You look back and go, I didn't see that one coming. But the cool thing about adversity and pain and suffering, it doesn't make you. It just reveals you and exposes you. Even the psalmist would say, it was good for me that I was afflicted and I went through suffering, Andrew, because I've come to know the ways of God. What'd you go through? Man, we roll on into the summer, and by the time we get to August, little Cedar Cash is born, our first grandbaby. Benji and Grace, we were so happy for them, but I'll never forget being down there that day, Caleb, Jonah, Barb, all of our kids, and being able to see that little dude. And I'm like, wow, we've got uncles, Jesse said he's a funkle. He's the fun uncle out of all of them. There's still a raging debate on that one. He's got a shirt that says Funkle Jesse on it. I'm like, there you go. You got to be known for something. But what a highlight. And what, what a day of celebration that August 27th. I'll never forget going, praise the Lord, because we cried some and we laughed some and we high-fived some and we hugged and hurt with others some. And the, the, you went through it. 
You went through depression and anxiety and worry and chaos this past year, and it's like, what do we do? Where do we turn? What have we done wrong? What have we done right? What, what, what do we do? Yeah, and there was more curveballs and more attacks and more gut punches throughout the year, but then we roll into October, and my man Jesse proposes to Kelsey, and I'm like, man, I'm about to get another girl. We got Rachel and got Hannah, and now I got Grace, and I'm about to get Kelsey, and they're going to get married, Lord willing, in September. Yeah. Let's go ahead and play the music thing, as the Ohio players would say, roller coaster. <laughs> and time keeps on slipping into the future. Here's what I want you to do. If you got a pen, great. Grab your phone. The next three minutes, Nick's going to play. We're going to be silent. We're going to write down. Right now, I want you to do it. I just want you to take a stab at three, four, six things over this past year that happened. Some highs and some lows. Maybe even some of the self-inflicted wounds that you created, write them down. Some of the blessings that came your way, you go, wow. This is healing. This is allowing the Holy Spirit into your space. Write them down. I would write down like what the Lord taught you as you get into this over the next hours and days alright Lord what was a timeless truth that you submitted in my heart and taught me what was one or two verses that really became central for me reflect New Year's Eve, we'll get together and we'll sit around in our living room, 10, 10.30, and every person will share kind of a highlight or a life principle moment as we reflect. <clears throat> There's names you're going to write down. I'm just so thankful for what God did in Russell's life and Jonah's life. Just to see the breakthrough in Crystal's life. Our girl, Megan, just seeing what God did in her life. How cool. And just over the last seven to ten days, what God's done in my buddy 
Dalton's life and Mark's life, and I just start to look at how God is extending his kindness and showing himself to be trustworthy. And, and, And please do this before the Lord. Spend some time with your family. Spend some time sorting it out. Write down the peaks, the valleys. Write down some of these principles. And then just kind of shift over to, say, 2020. What what are going to be the rhythms? What are going to be the disciplines every day? I'm I'm looking for long-term consistency, not just short-term intensity. I want to walk it. One of Paul's favorite metaphors and one of the key words you'll see throughout the pages of Scripture is the word walk. We're walking by faith. Enoch, walk with God. Don't walk as an unwise person. Walk in the Spirit. Walk walk every day with the Lord. I want to read more. I want to lead more effectively. I've got stuff I've written down. I want to encourage more effectively. I want to forgive quicker. Some of the people you pour into that you love so deeply, you're going to see them flourish and go, wow. And some of the people that you pour into and you love so deeply are going to stab you and become a Judas in your narrative. And Jesus knew the heart of Judas even when he selected him. And I think a lot of times we try to just, I'm going to gravitate toward people that will like me. Now you're going to get hit at times. Collectively as a body neck, I want to see more people on on ramp serving in the community, more people experiencing life growth, more people really connected in small groups, more people trusting God that they become radical and generous in their their giving of time, talents, and treasures. Thank you so much for watching the message today. We hope that this message inspired you and challenged you as you watched it. encourage you to check out our website. It's thecrossloganville.org. There's a lot of information about our church there uh, that maybe can help you answer some questions about who we are. And don't forget that on our website we have old messages and archived series so you can spend a lot of time there learning and exploring if you have any questions you can contact us via the web or you could call us at the church 770-554-3322 thanks again for watching